0: What? So this happened. I'm Rachel vallis and this is the podcast Hell is Not the End, although it feels like just the beginning sometimes. Is anything really the end though? This podcast is meant to explore the limitless possibilities of one's own soul. Why do people do bad things? Why are there countless happenings beyond understanding? Why when we are cautioned not to do something, do we just do it anyway? The definition of curiosity a strong desire to know or learn something. There you have it. I will curiously explore why. Hell is not the end. As I said in the last episode, this story will continue. In the 1970s at Kings Island in Mason, Ohio, two people are killed by lions on the Monorail Safari area. These will be the first deaths at the park. The second of the two deaths would prompt the end of the Monorail area for good. On July twenty fourth, 1976, One of the rangers would be fatally injured, it would prompt the end of the most desired drive through safari park. But, like any attraction meant to bring happiness to onlookers, the monorail safari would prove to be too much for fascinations. At what point do people realize fantasy is not reality? In 1974, Kings Island opened a 100 acre attraction called Lion Country Safari. This attraction used a monorail system to transport visitors around to multiple enclosures. The fact that a safari-type attraction was even a possibility is exciting, but with great risk comes great responsibility and Kings Island's first fatality. The preserve cost $7 million at the time of its construction that would be around $35 million today. The preserve had three separate sections where around 382 animals roamed and the rangers that worked in the reserve were their full-time attending to the animals. The rangers had many responsibilities to maintain the well-being of the animals. In May 1975, John McCann joined the rangers responsible for the animals. He would mostly work in the lion preserve section. He was 20 years old from Morrow, Ohio. From the start of John's employment, he didn't exactly follow protocol. About a year after he was hired, he noticed an antelope that wandered into the tiger enclosure. Fearing for the antelope, he left his jeep and entered the enclosure to help. Another ranger witnessed this and called out to John that the antelope's life was not worth losing his own. Other rangers would recount that John broke protocol often by leaving his jeep unarmed in the animal enclosures. On June 26, 1976, a memo was given to the rangers to prevent anyone from being injured violating basic safety procedures, pointing out that some rangers were neglecting the rules, especially in the Big Cat areas. It outlined simple rules to be obeyed at all times. One of the rules stated, no one is to be outside their jeep alone when in the section of the cats out. On July 4th, John is injured by one of the lions. He was driving in the lion's preserve when it jumped on his jeep's door. The lion's claw slipped the jeep's protective bar, scratching John on the neck. It took seven stitches to close the wound on his neck. He was often spotted allowing the lions to jump on his jeep's roof. That was definitely against the rules at the preserve. In mid-July, John was again spotted out of his jeep, unarmed, and was seen straddling a lion. Now that doesn't seem like a good idea. On July 24th, John arrived for work at 8 a.m. He first checks his shotguns to make sure they are in working order along with a fellow ranger. He took one of the guns with him to let the lion cubs out into the lion preserve. Then about an hour later, the adult lions are led into the preserve. John stayed in the preserve for most of the day, making sure the lions were getting along and not fighting. A part of the ranger's job is to observe the behavioral traits of the animals. John would tell others that his wife had gotten a new job in Arizona and that they would be moving sometime next month. At 11 a.m., another ranger witnessed John opening his jeep door to tug the tail of a lion that seemed to go unnoticed by the lion. This wasn't the first time John was seen doing this to lions. Also that morning, a visitor saw John open his jeep door to be able to pat the head of a lion. At 12.45, John told another ranger that he was going to go check on some of the cats, and that he would return in a bit. Soon after that, a fellow ranger was asked to deliver a pitcher of ice water to John. Around 1.05, the fellow ranger tried to get John on the radio to let him know that he had a pitcher of ice water for him. There was no answer. After a few minutes, he tries to get John on the radio, but still no response. The senior ranger heard the radio and John's silence and asked the fellow ranger to go check on him. The fellow ranger went to the lion preserve near the huts, where the lions slept at night. The huts are located at the highest point of the preserve. John was not visible from the viewpoint as there was a large earthen berm located at the back of the section, the only section that was not visible from the huts. As he moved closer around the berm, he spotted John's jeep. The jeep's door was closed. The fellow ranger assumed that John had fallen asleep since he never answered on his radio. When he got closer to the jeep, he saw John's body lying 15 to 20 feet away from the jeep, and he'd been severely mauled. Six lions were actually on John's body, and the other lions could be seen very close by. The fellow ranger radioed the senior ranger to come to the section immediately. When the senior ranger got there upon seeing John's body, it was obvious that John was dead. The senior ranger contacts all rangers to report to the scene. The head ranger, head of security, and the deputy on duty that day all except the rangers in the watchtowers. The senior ranger tried to scare the lions off John's body with his jeep, but not before one of the lions grabbed the body, dragging it closer to the perimeter fence. The deputy working contacted the sheriff, And since it didn't appear to be a criminal act, no investigation would take place beyond what the deputy had already reported. The chief of security saw John's radio inside his jeep and that it was turned on, but was unable to get to it due to many lions lingering around the jeep. He contacted the coroner and the Mason life squad to come and remove the body. The rangers gathered as many cats into the huts as they could to allow John's body to be removed. The monorail would not be run for the rest of the day. The scene would not be thoroughly examined until all the cats were in their huts. That happened around 6 p.m. John's Jeep had his loaded shotguns and his radios inside. His shirt was crumpled on the driver's seat with a brown-looking substance smelling of feces. There was blood all over the Jeep. His pants were lying in between the Jeep and where his body was found. The shirt and blood were saved for lab analysis and would be a strong media focus. Torn-up bits of paper were found stuck to the perimeter fence, also stained with the same substance that was on John's shirt. After the incident, it was determined that the Lions posed no threat to visitors on the monorail, and its operation resumed the very next day. Attendance was strong, with many visitors asking employees about the incident. After the autopsy, it was concluded that he suffered from a fractured windpipe that was his ultimate cause of death, and he had suffered from asphyxiation due to animal bites. In light of rangers not being allowed to get out of their jeeps when they were alone, when asked why he was out of his jeep, a spokesman for the park had no answer. We may never know, he says. John's father requests that the sheriff's office investigates further and not the park's rangers, He thought it best that outside investigation take place. When their final investigation concluded the same thing that the park's investigators did, their parents were furious and decided never to visit the park again. Enter the conspiracy corner. At the time of the incident, many theories swirled around. The park spokesman blamed the incident on the victim, stating that he was often The park spokesman blamed the incident on the victim, stating that he was often seen breaking the rules and took his own safety for granted. Even suicide was one death by lion. But his coworkers didn't notice any unhappiness about him, especially that day. Since his pants were off, one theory was that he simply left his jeep to relieve himself, forgetting to take his weapon with him. Earlier before this incident, on April 18th, 50 baboons had escaped their enclosure. The baboons had only been at the preserve for about 11 days, having arrived from West Africa. For four days, their keepers tried to lure them back with bananas, oranges, marshmallows, and even a few Twinkies. Twinkies? I know that would have gotten me back. (laughs) My hope is that no one has to live in fear, ever. As always, I will never give up. And read the signs. Special thanks to all the reading materials I can get my hands on, internet mostly. Thanks to wikipedia.org and kingsislandghosts.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rachel Velasnor and this is the podcast, Hell is Not the End. (laughs)